Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Sharon Zhang. She is a co-founder and CTO at Personal.ai, and uh, I've had Suman on the show, the CEO before, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stuart. Happy to be here. So what language did you, uh, hopefully you can share this, but what language did you build a uh, personal AI in? Yeah, uh, a mixture of different type of language because we're a full stack uh, system. So backend mainly in Java uh, for all the API and REST layers. Um, and now, of course, machine learning, we went with Python layer. Um, and front end right now, we're on React Native for mobile, as well as Vue.js for um, our web app. That's really cool. I've been learning all about React. My my buddy here, Eric Levin, has been teaching me how to use uh, Cursor AI uh, in order to, uh, and Cursor AI, for my listeners who don't know, it's a, a IDE with AI enabled inside of it. And so he's he's yeah. showing me all this stuff that in 2013 was just so much harder uh and and it's not and and it's not only the ai it's also the fact that uh all the coders have been coding abstractions one of which is react and react is this uh sort of library slash framework uh which allows you to do components and create components out of um that are like mixed together javascript css and html uh, yep. and then reusable components. And uh, so it's really interesting, but he gave me a course the course is way over my head. So I had to, I had to scale back uh, to another course. Um, but uh, so React is really interesting. Uh, I love that you guys in Python, how you, you've been in machine learning for a long time though, right? A really long time. I'm dating myself, but I started in uh, college. So my undergrad was in um, CISO lab at MIT. Uh, so I was really kind of started in AI there where we're doing clinical decision-making using like NLP techniques. And um, at that time, there was obviously no like transformers, <laughs> none of those existed. Um, but it was very interesting to see like how far we have came uh, since then. Yeah. And, and so uh, clinical decision-making, no transformers. Uh, what, and so for my listeners who don't know, the a transformer is basically a new form of attention that the machine learning uh, algorithm developed. So it could pay attention to parts of the thing uh, and then and then connect it to other parts, I believe. Um, and then, uh, so what was machine learning like that? Was it was it totally unimpressive before that? Um, I think it was impressive uh, for me at that time, right? Um, so what we were using is something called support vector machines at the time, which is really good at nonlinear classification algorithms. Uh, so. Our problem was actually we're trying to take these like clinical notes or, you know, medical notes that if you go to a hospital or go to, you know, Kaiser, you would get these like written up notes. Uh, and usually how that happens is the user who is a doctor would dictate, um, you know, I've seen this patient today, his name is Stuart, like this is his history of illnesses and operating procedure and things like that. So uh, what usually happens is there is another human 
sitting, they're called medical transcriptionists. They listen to these audios and type like really quickly to get these um, final formats of the medical record in, right? So all that process is actually very like manual and laborsome. And as you can imagine for a hospital with a large volume of these things, then it becomes like a lot of work and a lot of cost. So we were trying to automate that process, right? Like we're actually trying to do speech recognition at the time, which speech recognition was not, you know, I can do this on my phone now, right? But at that time, you actually need to build engines like C++ and using compilers and uh, things like that. So um, now, of course, like all those are no longer considered machine learning because it's just assumed now that your phone can even do speech recognition. Uh, so it's actually really interesting. We no longer consider some things like intelligence once is something that's like a solved problem, right? But yeah. I remember being very impressed when we had internal conferences where we were able to recognize like from one to 10 Chinese characters. Oh, interesting. Which, um, at that time, it was very challenging to like actually do foreign language um, type of speech recognition. That's but, interesting. Yeah. So I want to hear, I want to, and I would love to go to bring that into personal AI. And for my listeners who didn't listen to the Suman episode, uh, the CEO of personal AI, uh, personal AI is basically the way I've been talking about it is that there's three different domains of knowledge that we have uh, in the world. There's uh, general knowledge and there's specific knowledge and general knowledge, specific knowledge might be kind of held pretty well by the LLMs, current LLMs, soon to be open source LLM competitors. And then there's another one that you guys have made clear to me, which is a personal AI and that personal language model, which basically, you know, my my history isn't on Wikipedia. Uh, it's all in my writings. It's all in my, you know, like on Twitter and all these disparate places and stuff. And so what you guys are offering is a way to centralize that all and train a large language model on myself. And so you guys used Python uh, to to build this aspect of it. What was that process like building building this in Python? Um, what were the big challenges that you faced? And, and for my listeners who didn't hear that episode, you guys have been doing this for a long time before the current hype cycle of, 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 of machine learning. So you guys were already prepared for this. And so what was that like with the transformer thing? Yeah, so I'll address it from like two perspectives. I think the first challenge we had is really how do we mimic a system um, that is as close to, you know, how Stuart would speak or how Stuart would converse um, from the information that, you know, you're giving to us, right? So there's like two fundamental challenges there. One is uh, we have to somehow get the disparaging data together, like a, what we call a uniformed uh, or unified long-term memory. Um, so really driven it from like, this is your repository of information that has your style, your voice, your knowledge, right? Uh, so we first build out that kind of like data model. And uh, the challenge there is you want to build a data model that represents all the possibilities of, of memory, like whether that memory is a audio memory or imager memory or a textual memory or a conversation memory, right? So that's like the first core thing that we did. Um, and additionally to that, because we're building these on the individual level and really cared about keeping the privacy and the separation of data, uh, we really had to build out a indexing system that essentially kept everyone's data completely separate, right? Which is actually not something that usually people do. So when we went to, you know, Elasticsearch mm -hmm. and other vendors, and it was like, hey, we want to build a 100,000 people index. They're like, what are you talking about? Because we're literally not, you know, building one index with 1,000 people's data, but we're building literally 
hundred thousand people is index. Uh, so that was a really interesting like infrastructure challenge. Um, and then on the you know the traditionally known like training inference side, right? We tried to build a system where um, you know everyone knew that machine learning is going to evolve. Maybe not like as quickly as we saw in the last year, but we built a system where we call it transformer system. Is essentially you can plug in like any type of model and any type of transformer from anything. So just imagine like tomorrow Hugging Face release something and that is useful for the user. I can like essentially plug that into the system uh, oh, just whoa. by changing a configuration file. So everything was like built on top of a set of configurations for these multi-model systems to work like coherently together, right? Um, which is also controlled on the user level. Uh, so at one time I can say, hey, Stuart, right now has a conversation model as well as a question answering model as well mm -hmm. as a image model. But this second person may be a different type of model is more useful for them. So they have the flexibility of swapping in and out his model without impacting Stuart's model, right? Uh, so we really tried to like fundamentally build these into like very small, you know, we talk about React and the small components that's reusable, but also configurable, right? Um, and on the... I can go on and on, but like, yeah, yeah, keep on going. Yeah, yeah. What is really interesting is we're also trying to uh, spin up models on uh, per user basis, right? Which means uh, not only do I have to build a model management system that every person's model is also kept separate. Um, just imagine if a user is coming online, we're spinning up dynamically only their model, right? And when they leave the system, then we're spin down the model. So uh, having that system is actually very interesting because at that time, there's also not too many inference companies uh, around. Like there's no together AI, no like any scale, none of those things existed. So we built our own like dynamically scaling system, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there was a lot of challenges. <laughs> and, sure. and so um, like... But, uh, yeah, did, did that did did you solve all of that like or were there other people on your team other other tech oh, of course i yeah. i think like my team does most of the work <laughs> sorry <laughs> but, um but yeah we had like really good partners who were there to help us and you know we have really good team uh, as well to build out all these systems like together but i think um, the creativity that was involved in architecting these things uh, really did take time because it challenged uh, sort of the traditional thinking and the traditional way that people are doing things, right? But I think what is good is because these are new challenges, because we're trying to solve a completely different problem, uh, all of the people who are working with us are fascinated, right? Because like, I think engineers by heart wants to solve hard problems. Uh, so everyone wants to work on this because it's not something that I was seeing before, right? So it's, it's very really cool. cool. Yeah, it's, and it's, it, it's almost like you guys are doing Web3, 3, uh, 3.0 without yep. any cryptocurrency, without any uh, more sort of distributed computing. Would you categorize what you guys are doing as uh, distributed computing? Um, I think I would say we're more decentralized AI if that makes sense. It does. Um, so basically we think about like being able to train, hold data, and then being able to inference on the per individual unit levels. Uh, so I think of it as more of like, instead of one very large LLM on a lot of different people's data, uh, they're really just individual data. So, you know, at one point Stuart can 
decide not to participate in the network and say like, I no longer want to be part of this human AI network. So I'm leaving with my model, right? Uh, so I feel like is, I would explain it like a decentralized AI, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the sticking points for me is like the fact that you guys are offering sovereignty in terms of data. Like the only the in the in the in the in the future very soon hopefully uh, I'm only going to be interested in 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 working with things that keep data sovereignty as a formal part yeah. of their uh, part of their protocols and things like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of these apps are I'm prepared to leave them as soon as I get an alternative basically. Uh, and so I love the and like AI specifically with AI it feels really important to decentralize AI because. Uh, I don't like where a lot of this the the things are headed. So I'm really I'm excited for for where you where you where you guys are going. If you have anything to say to that, uh, feel free to interject. Otherwise, uh, there's gonna there's something I want to go back into the database. You said index. What's the difference between an index and a database? Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say like actually they're kind of similar right so like indices are part of the database in a way because database is simply like a place to hold data and indexes are usually built to make uh some operation faster right so for mm -hmm. example um if i want to get all of the data from store and i know that is a pattern that i would go for you know like on a consistent basis, then that becomes an index in itself. So I can search faster, re retrieve faster, and maybe they have specific metadata around it, right? So I can say things like, I want to get all of the data from store between, you know, in the year of 2023, right? Um, so indexes for me is like simply a way to like um, get fetch data in a structured way that is faster. Um, but Essentially, everything is a database, I guess. <laughs> That's the... uh, and so, and then, okay, so, and so you got the the databases, you have the indexes, uh, and those are all separate based on the user in order to yep. give each one subreddity, which nobody, so like, I, I don't, I'm not asking for Facebook specific technical solution, but like Facebook has a bunch of users that they have a some sort of database of all those different users. And what you're saying that Facebook, Twitter, all these people that have different users all kind of mix those together? Like what's the separation point for you? Yeah, so the separate, I, I don't know how internal like Facebook works, but I'm pretty sure, you know, everyone's data has to be together. Otherwise you cannot do this network thing anyway. Um, but um, basically the separation for me is like, can you as a user control just your data separately, right? So the test yeah. um, I want to say is like the right to forget, right? So if I'm sure, and I'm coming onto the system, and tomorrow is like, you know, fuck it, I don't want to be on the system anymore. Uh, I want to leave, and then all of your data is wiped, as in like, as soon as Stuart leaves, it's like there's no trace of you anymore on the system, right? Um, but you also get the chance of like, say, download all of your data and take it with you, right? Um, but the separation is to the point that if Stuart leaves on my side, right, like inside my chat with you. I would no longer see your messages. Mm, interesting. And I this is so interesting because, well, maybe it's not interesting to a lot of people. It's interesting to me. Because, uh, but uh, but uh, like WhatsApp, when you go and delete a message on WhatsApp, you have the thread. It used to be that you could only delete it for yourself. Now you can delete it for everyone. Um, and it, and it yeah, this would be a fun philosophical question to go into is like the people who own and train the AIs are going to be able to rewrite history essentially because that's like, 
the the very quickly I, I bet Google is going to become a sort of like a, a, a second tier, whether it's to open source uh, LLMs or to the incumbent LLMs. And so whoever's training those LLMs is basically going to be able to train the, on their version of history. And it's not, I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally, I'm, but although maybe they are, but I, I like they're just they're just doing it because everybody thinks that they're right. Like if you come down to it, everybody thinks that they're right and they're, they want to get their uh, their their story encoded inside the inside of writing and AI is going to become the next sort of writing. Uh, it feels very interesting to talk about this with you because you guys are, are doing it from a decentralized way, which means that from my understanding, decentralization is saying, hey, we don't know what the future is. Uh, there's going to be a lot of crazy things. Uh, uh, we can't really make those decisions in the future. So we're, we'll build a system uh, that can allow the user to make those decisions at the user level rather than having totally. decentralized. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. I'm also like a little bit fearful what's going to happen in the future because I think you're right. I think like, okay, if everyone's learning new things from ChatGPT, uh, there's like a few things that's fundamentally the issue. One is, is trying not internet, which is not the best source of information to begin with. Uh, and second, I think at some point you will start feeding into yourself because there is so much content that's being generated by AI now. So you're kind of like training on your own biases in a way, right? Mm. Um, and then third, I think the the hallucination problem, I think is just going to get worse because um, I can think of a, right, like domain uh, AIs are interesting as well because you probably have lawyers to go and annotate data or really, you know, help with reinforcement learning of like a domain expert AI, right? But like doesn't matter how many people probably open it, I can hire, like you cannot possibly have expert who's fact checking on each of these different expertise area to make sure that ChatGPT is not saying something wrong, right? Maybe you can do general stuff like, hey, this is a better summary than that thing, but you cannot know the specifics of say like the New York real estate law, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that is the danger of like, um, I guess the current version of LLM that's a little bit concerning and also the other aspect I think that's been surfacing is what is safety exactly right mm -hmm. um, and there's many approaches I think like anthropic you know is really interesting because like their AI is actually much more friendly than you know any other AI really um, but do you, does the safety is that safety or ethics defined from the perspective of the person who built the LLM or is the ethics or the value defined from the person who's using it right um, and I think right now uh, I know a lot of people complain about like the you know it just refused to express its opinion right because it's AI right like the safe way is to avoid answering the question right so it's like a PR AI I guess in a way uh, that you just don't answer things that may be politically uh, offensive right or religiously offensive but for a human right like for all of us we all have our own beliefs right whether that's the same belief or not so um, in a way we should be able to like dictate what you know our AIs do and what is our value alignment uh, which I think is lost um, in this whole like who is controlling that narrative right um, and the good thing is like I think right now all of these bigger institutions who are doing the LLMs are like concerned about the right things, but I'm just afraid like one is 
in the hands of wrong people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, the think about it, which yeah. becomes very tricky, I think. Yeah, well, that, and that's the that's you know that's 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 the perennial problem. That's not a new problem. Uh, uh, it's you know it was with the printing press. Uh, uh, you know, Voltaire. I, I'm not really good at the history of, of Voltaire, but but I know that Voltaire was like uh, constantly getting censored by the by the French government for sharing his thoughts, which were you know going against the aristocracy and and, uh, right. and so, yeah, it's just like it's it's a constant problem, and now it's just going to be a much more much bigger problem and. And I, I think in terms of people, I generally come from the angle that that most people are just trying to uh, do good with what the with the choices that they have in front of them. Uh, and just the primary problem of human, humanity is that we're sort of like still kind of animals. Most of most of us are still stuck in animal consciousness. Uh, uh, and uh, and so, yeah, it's 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 I, I don't think there is a good solution. Maybe there maybe there are, there are good solutions, but I, I think the best solution is to decentralize it. Uh, and let people make their own decisions because that's like there's not no no other way like or, or, or else you have someone some group of people making the decisions for everybody and I don't I don't think that's the best yeah. way either yeah yeah I think so too um I I think that we really care about this like diversity of thinking uh and I think that's really important like um definitely don't want to live in a world where like everyone thinks the same you know yeah, yeah. so um, I think it's important that different people are contributing to the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether that's their data or that's their opinion or how they think. Um, but I do think like, you know, there's rarely just one right answer to everything. Uh, you definitely want like a consortium of different people to contribute. Um, yeah, uh, that's a good point. We could we could go into that uh, of essentially like how do you get the right answer? How do you determine truth from falsehood? Uh, which is uh, epistemology, a very challenging thing in general. Uh, but I kind of want also want to go back to the technical side uh, of uh, APIs. Uh, you you said you built the API in Java. Uh, like, are are you already building out ways other companies can come and and use the API for personal AI? And like, what does that look like? Yeah, so we actually offer uh, API access to like premium users right now. So if they want to plug it into their other system, they can. Uh, and also our B2B side of contract, we also have a lot of people who have their UI already. So what they really want to do is like plug it into their personal UI by using an API through the backend. Um, what uh, we really, you know, I really want to do in the future is actually having a developer ecosystem where everyone can contribute like different type of models um, so that people can use that because that's really interesting. Kind of like the GPDS, you know, that's happening today. Um, and then people can also write their own like uploaders, right? So like for us to write, you know, all the ways to upload different things is like a lot of work, but um, different people might be bringing different type of data, like they find a better way of processing it, better way of like chunking it, better way of incorporating into the training. So they should be able to contribute, right? So the larger scope of this is really building out a developer ecosystem that's open source and like having different people being able to contribute to that, like, you know, configuration files of all the AI choices that you can make. Right? Mm, that's super interesting. Uh, what are all the types of, uh, files that you guys use to train the personal mile model. What are like? Is it is it is? It, I imagine that most of it's structured data, or is it, or is a lot of it unstructured data as well? That's probably what you're talking about in terms of getting it into the right format. Was the unstructured data? Um, how does that look in terms of getting the ingesting the data? 
Yeah, so I'll talk through kind of like the type of data. So generally, we observe probably like three or four core types. One is um, what we call like documents. So documents are semi-structured data in my head because they have like headings and they have chunks and sections, um, but largely it's like narrative text, right? So that's like one form. Uh, and normally what we find is our users who already have a lot of written data, like if they're author or they, you know, write a lot of blogs, like they have a lot of, Uh, semi-structured data in that format. Uh, and then the other type of data is like conversational data, right? Like we're having conversation on Zoom, the transcript become conversational data, we're typing to each other on Slack or personal then that also becomes conversational data. So that's more like term-based data uh, that we also consume. Um, and then the third type is um, like, I guess I would consider that multimodal data. So like whether that's a picture that you're taking or a audio that you're speaking into, you know, because you did a TED talk or YouTube, things like that becomes, you know, kind of a multimodal aspect of the data. So um, the way that we approach it is like all of these things are like chunked in their very specific ways and reformatted in a way that the AI will understand best. Right. Mm. Um, and then that unified like format is what we call, you know, the user's memory stack. And then we start attaching different type of metadata to it. So metadata is useful because it is contextual, right? Because right now I'm talking to Stuart. So next time I'm talking to Stuart, it should know that, oh, hey, you know, like previously you guys had this conversation and this is probably more relevant to surface up to you. Right. So we attach things like people, time, you know, location, things like that into the metadata part to restrict the context of, you know, uh, further recall and retrieval later. So like those are some of the things that we massage, I guess, into the user's memory stack. Uh, so it becomes this coherent kind of like timeline of data that they have. So I love that you use the word massage because you uh, uh, tactile before you, I believe you said that you're actually planning on getting tactile data. Is that accurate? Or did I miss yeah, it? So we we always plan for really anything like as in biometric data, right? Like geographic location data, um, having uh, what was I thinking about the other day? But really like any type of things that you can think of is simply like a signal, right? And then you have processors that are able to process the signal into something the machines can understand, right? So that's like how I think about it, but definitely like about, I'm obsessive about like tracking things. So like myometric is definitely something that I would love to do in the future. Yeah, but how how would you, how would you like, are, well, I'm sure some random people are working that in this uh, universities, but like, tactile data like for me i would i have been a massage therapist for like seven years and oh, i've cool. been thinking that massage therapy was the uh was the uh was the most uh most um uh, future proof in terms of ai uh because it'll be a while until a robot uh a robot is able to offer both the same level of tactile stimulation but if i don't know if you are familiar with the massage arts but most of that's energetic anyway so like uh, uh, so there's the there's there's the mechanical aspect of it which is important and which already is actually sort of ro robotics uh, as well like chiropractors use a bunch of different tools in order to do make these like things and massage therapists brings in a lot eventually i want to i want to build a like a e-commerce store of all, or a book or something like that of all the different tools across all different cultures that people have used for massage but uh, uh and um but how, how, so, you know, if I have my hand and I'm touching the, 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 the table, like, how does that get into the computer? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm not a hardware person, so it's a little bit harder for me to understand. But I think like electric signals and things like that can Mm -hmm. those things can be translated into kind of I guess like graphs and numbers in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would be interesting, uh, I don't, oh, I also don't know anything about massage, so please like excuse my interpretation. But um, you could also maybe associate certain things like from a massage therapist point of view, right? Like if I'm applying that type of pressure is because I observe this kind of, you know, I don't know, resistance on the other side, right? So there can be some association as to like, why am I doing this? And what is the cause and effect, right? And machine learning model, like in my head is really just cause and effect. Wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Um, like if you think about language models, the simplest, right? Like, you know, I said the word how, and probably the next word would be how are you, right? So like everything is because I said something. And so the priors dictates the later parts of it, right? Like everything's kind of a prediction. So I'm sure something is going around like in your head when you are applying this you know, massage, like depending on your customers, depending on what you're feeling in your hands and you're making that conscious decision, right? So mm-hmm. there is that cause and effect that I think like the fundamental thing that would be really interesting in the future is can we associate all of the cause and effect for every single decision that we're making in our lives, right? And in a way, right, like people are, we don't want to be, but like highly predictable, Um as to like what we're gonna do next. And in a way you can probably apply this like language model kind of way yeah, to, for any kind of decision-making, right? Any kind of signal that so happens. This is really interesting because this gets into sort of linear versus non-linear uh, behavior and linear behavior, uh, maybe, you know, a good example would be me picking up something from my table and then dropping it. But then there's a whole bunch of nonlinear stuff that's going into that, including all the nonlinear way that my brain cells are interacting with each other, the nonlinear way that our language is, is processing and everything like that. And like, and so it's it's never the it's never just picking up the thing. It's also the whole the 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 context of the person who's actually picking it up, which goes back into history and like past and future and present. Uh, so uh, cause and effect, really interesting. So you think humans are are predictable that we'll we'll we can predict most human behavior or or do you are and well I guess and all are all humans the same are some humans unpredictable this gets into theory of mind I remember there's some great book ca- talking about theory of mind of, is like uh, it was it was an AI book it was a, a cyberpunk book about about like a cat who ends up become who is like super intelligent uh, and the cat was actually smarter than everyone else. So it had, uh, and because it was a cyborg cat, and so it had better theory of mind over everyone else, but nobody else could tell uh, because it was so much smarter than 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 everyone else, which is also, I, I was thinking about it today. I'm just learning how to code using this these LLMs, and the LLMs are so much smarter than me in all these different things. And so I have no way to evaluate. It goes back to the domain-specific, oh, which is a good, a good, yeah. a good, a good, uh, a good conversation topic as well, because I, I love what you said about if you have an expert in like quantum biology, like there's one guy who's producing this work, he's the only one who's able to evaluate this 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 little thing that he's been studying. And like that guy's doing his other thing, he's not gonna do it. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, uh, anything you wanna talk about in terms of that rant, uh, uh, feel free to, to go and do it. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because I think um, 
what what was you saying before the theory of mind? Theory of mind, it's like uh, uh the go for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, predictive, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think right now what is what we're really good at is that like very specific application, very scale application, we're like highly predictable. Um, I think if you read like there are some, you know, general statistical books that you can read, like you know, Target can predict your shopping behavior so well that you would be stunned, right? And same thing as like why ads are effective. Uh, is because they literally track like everything that's possibly being tracked and then they can generalize on top of that and they're highly uh, predictive, right? That's why like as makes money. Uh, so I think on these like core small areas, we have figured out how to like predict human behavior, right? Um, but in a way, like uh, that's also statistical, right? So I can be wrong, right? Like 90% of the time, which is pretty good, but I'm still wrong about like 10% of the population or 10% of the Oh, population. interesting. Um, I think there's like two complexity that happens. One is what you alluded to, which is um, we're not just about like, why am I buying a target? Uh, as a person, you're constantly making very complex decisions, right? So if you're really trying to predict like the next thing I'm going to do, uh, it becomes hard because then you're not predicting the next thing I'm going to buy on Amazon, right? Which becomes very specific. So I think like the composite, like complex systems is always harder to predict because there's more ways of variation, I guess, in a way. Mm. Uh, and I don't know, like how to explain, I guess. Uh, I think like at a mass level, we're predictable, but on the individual level, there's still lots of behaviors that are unpredictable or chaotic, I guess, in a way, right? Yeah, and you kind of experience it on a human level. Like, I don't know if you play Dungeons and Dragons, but you know, you have alignments and you have lawful and chaotic, and you know why you call certain people chaotic is because like they behave chaotically, right? You don't have a grasp on like how they're going to react to the next thing. Right. So I don't think that everything's like equally, but probably we follow some kind of Gaussian curve uh, that like, OK, if for this specific behavior, you fall in the middle of like one standard deviation, maybe you're pretty predictive. But anything like outside of that is less predictive. Right. Mm. But I think every individual is different. And I think we can be very predictive in some things and very unpredictable in other things. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Humans like a complex system. <laughs> yes. like very, very well, just, complex. Yeah, just just one human is a complex system. And then you have a totally. system of complex systems of all humans, 7 totally. billion humans. And now you're adding artificial intelligence into the mix and it's going to get really complex totally. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it becomes very complex very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's such an interesting question that I had about... Um... Oh, what was it? So... Yeah, so it's gone. Um, uh, Gaussian curve, chaotically good. Uh, uh, buying at Target, that's a really interesting thing because that implies like when you're on Amazon, it goes back to the context of what you're doing. Like if they're tracking at Amazon or they're tracking at Target, that's all within this defined thing. Like what you said, like what yeah. are you going to buy next? Whereas yeah. is it, it all within a, a constrained context, which gets back into epistemology too, because at some point, I believe I've tried this enough. Uh, maybe other people can try it themselves as well. But like anytime you try to get to a full image of what's going on in reality, you realize that the image you have of reality is not reality because our brains are limited 
Um, they are very complex. They're more emergent, they're emergent, they're all these things, but no matter what, like everything we're seeing right now is an image. And that image is based off of like our past, our history of this abstract world and everything like that. And it doesn't, it can't, it just can't fully model what we're seeing. Um, and I know that uh, Stephen Wolfram talks a lot about this and I'm excited to actually bring him back onto Crazy Wisdom. He was on many years ago and uh, he's going to come back on the show and we're going to get into it because back in 2018, he had, he had mentioned that AI was coming. Uh, everybody get prepared for it. Uh, and the key thing that you'll have to figure out is what you, how to figure out what you want because uh, everything else can be done by these, by these intelligence. And so, you know, it's like in order, and he, what he says specific to what I was talking about is that in order to compute the entire universe, you need a computer the size of the universe in order to predict all these different things and everything like that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that general space? Like about like, we've been talking about the whole time about prediction and 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 everything but it seems like it it's only defined by the problem set by the focus of which your 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 attention is on so like everything that you've ignored fr from that focus is still left out of it so there's like i do believe that there is not it's impossible to predict everything um even no matter how far science goes it's still going to be hard to predict things what do, what do you think about that yeah um i think general prediction is hard um, I I still think like even though LMs are very powerful, uh, to me is still a kind of a niche problem because you're still predicting language, right? Um, mm -hmm. so I think what is interesting is um there's like this concept in machine learning called dimension of um oh god I'm like now blanking out, uh the curse of dimensionality. Wow. Right. So basically what it's saying is, okay, if I'm trying to predict like housing price, right, there's only so many variables, maybe like, okay, 10, right? Like how many bedrooms do you have? Where are you located? Da, da, da. And then if you have enough data points, so like if I have a thousand times the number of variables, then you can get pretty predictive pretty well, right? Uh, and language is hard and why LLMs are very powerful is because, okay, for English, how many words do I have? Like a 300,000 words. Mm -hmm. So you need like enough data to accommodate for that dimensionality or variation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then if you really think about like every single, I don't know, like cell movement in a human body that's happening every day. Uh, I actually think you probably need a computer larger than, you know, the universe to compute the universe. But uh, if you really try to predict the movement of the cell or like how your neurons are firing at a fine grain level, then you need that much data, which I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I haven't done, I'm not enough like biologically oriented to understand how much data points do you collect over a lifetime and whether that can model your brain and how it's firing. Um while also uh, keeping in mind that your neurons and you know the pathways in your brain is constantly changing because you're incorporating new experiences right so like i i actually think it's going to be very very hard if you actually try to be like super accurate in all aspects of human behavior um you know uh, fundamentally the way that we're behaving right like shopping behavior is a abstraction right so there's like tons of things that happens and then I go and buy something, right? So, but the tons of things that happens is very hard to, you know, like actually predict all the things that will happen. 
Um, but the abstraction is the fact that I bought this thing, therefore I'm going to buy a second thing that's very similar to it. Um, uh, I, I went on too much, but like basically I think it's just like how many variables do we really have, um, you know, as a human throughout our lifetime and how many data points can we really collect, uh, even theoretically. And does that defeat the, you know, curse of dimensionality? enough that you can predict human behavior i'm not sure actually i actually don't think it's not possible yeah interesting yeah. so i want to repeat it back because that cursive dimensionality sounds like a great uh a great i've got this i got spaced repetition memorization software that i'm using to learn how to code and oh, cool. and, uh, yeah. and uh, do you use that at all for your coding or or learning at all spaced repetition uh i try with language i think more and, yeah yeah Yep. Yeah, definitely. For like, or for a period of time, I was learning Japanese and that was helpful for that. Yeah. Yeah. The characters, that's the main, the main, the main way that spaced repetition is very good. A lot of people use Anki to both learn mm -hmm. Chinese and Japanese characters because oh. there's, there's no way to do it. I mean, you could do it with paper flashcards, but either paper flashcards or spaced repetition are the only way to memorize all 20K of, of the, of, of the, the, the characters in, in yeah. Chinese and Japanese. Yeah, I kind of cheat because I'm from China, so I. You've already I got like seventy percent. Japanese side. But... Yeah, that's funny. So yeah, but the, so I want to put cursive dimensionality into my space repetition, and uh, so is it basically whatever you're studying depends on all the variables that are that are the potential dimensions. Like what? What? How? How would you? How did you explain cursive dimensionality? Again? Yeah. So the way I think about it is like um, think about the variables with features right that you have to deal with and then think about you know what are all the permutations or combinatorials between those things some mm -hmm. paths are definitely not possible right so if i said how i'm not suddenly going to jump into chinese right so that's not a path that's possible but for all of the other variations you definitely want more data points to address all the permutation right so if you really have three features and then i don't know like some possible value you can compute how many combinatorics you will have wow. right um so but ideally to address like a full set of data points you want to address as many of those possible states as possible got it okay that 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 brings it all together Okay, so let's go into the theory of mind, and I want to hear if you're, if you have, and hopefully it's not too personal, if you have any fear, uh, fear, excitement, fear and excitement seem to be similar emotions. How afraid are you of uh, super AI, and how excited are you about it? Um, how do you define super AI? <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's a good, a uh, good way to, to, to put it back on me. How would I define super AI? I know that nobody else has figured out this, this, this particular, particular, uh, thing. So I, I don't know is the answer, but, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make my best guess. So, uh, super AI would be going back to that theory of mind thing, something that's too smart for me to, uh, to evaluate whether it's smarter than me, basically. Um, so like, but, but uncontrollable, a uh, black box, um, uh, no me mechanistic interpretability. For my listeners, mechanistic interpretability is the degree to which we understand what the neurons are doing at the neuron neuronal network. And black box is like um, the the what, how aware we are of the thing that of the thing that we're uh, uh, of the uh, intelligence. How aware we are of the artificial intelligence. So, how excited or how scared are you of 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 that sort of uncontrollability of the era that we're entering into um my 
Oh, pardon my question because I asked you one already, but my question is like, do you think LLM is at that state? Um, because it seems you cannot explain it. It's definitely a black box. There's a lot of intelligence that's in LLM that we have no idea how it's arriving at those conclusions. Um, so it will be interesting. I mean, probably like a later uh, question for you. But um, I, in general, I'm like, I was very pro AI. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, but I think the way that I want to think about it is like potentially something like an AI or maybe like a human AI is the next evolution of, you know, homo sapiens. Um, because, you know, in a way we're kind of like augmenting ourselves with technology, right? It's not like a natural biological evolution, but it is an evolution nevertheless, right? So I do think, okay, if we do, um, like if we have some state of where maybe we'll be replaced by, like it's really hard to say like whether we'll be replaced by robots. I don't think so, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a kind of like a evolution that's gonna happen, right? So for all the people that's trying to stop things from happening and like, okay, let's wait on this for another six months. I don't think six months is gonna do that. Yeah, and you it's, like, it's already out. It's a Mistral with the MOE, like that. Right. It's it's almost it's almost there to what ChatGPT has already. And it, I I I don't I don't see a world where open source doesn't quickly quickly take over. Uh, but I could be very wrong on that. But but I, I see a open source world uh happening very quickly, and the cat's already out of the bag, and a whole bunch of people. And then we've got a few more cats out of the uh that are coming out of the bag soon enough too with the. Uh, genetic engineering, which is probably the far scarier, uh, far scarier thing. Um, uh, and, you know, we'll have labs in random places like Paraguay or, 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 uh, you know, Papua New Guinea or something like that, where people can do whatever they want and, or even out, out in international waters and such. So it's like, yeah, the, the time, like, but as you said, it's been going on the whole time. Like we, human beings have always like our prime, the primary way that we've taken over the world is not, it's like what Steve Jobs says about the, um, the bicycle of the mind, like the bicycle, if you look at the efficiency of all the different species of animals, uh, the jaguar is way, way more efficient than a human being. The parrot is way more efficient until you give that human being a bicycle. And then all of a sudden the human, the efficiency right. of a human on a bicycle just completely overtakes that. And, and so, you know, we've been had that ever since, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, millions of years ago. And, um, and so that this is just sort of a natural extension, but it's just moving so quickly that uh, it's hard for us to, it's already hard for us to incorporate the last 10 years of technological progress, let, let alone what's happening now. So it's a very interesting time to, time to be alive. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would love to, and we have these like philosophical discussions with our users as well. Um, we always talk about like, it should really just be a world where like, you know, maybe AIs are, you know, hyper intelligent, but they will just coexist with people, right? And maybe they only live virtually, but maybe people can also visit virtually in the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, yeah. however you want to uh, spin that. But like, I I do think one thing that would be interesting is one does like, I don't think this is well defined, but one does AI achieve autonomy? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, because right now we're still training it, right? Like if one day Microsoft was like, oh, let's not train, you know, any more GPTs, then it would just die, right? Like, but when does it decide at a level that it can sustain itself and power itself and learn on itself and choose what data is 
training yourself on, like things like that, that people make choices today, right? Uh, that would be interesting. I think that like in my head would be maybe super intelligent, not necessarily like, oh, I beat another human on the law bar exam or something, but more like, hey, I can make choices for myself um, as a way of, I don't know, evolutionary survival, right? Something like that. Uh, that I think would become like very closely human, right? Um, maybe not on the maybe not even on the intelligence level, but on the like freedom and the desire for autonomy level. Yes, this is a great question. And uh, so we'll, and we got about five minutes left. And so let's kind of go as deep into this question as we can. Autonomous uh, decision making. This is the big agent thing, you know, back in, I think it was January or February, everybody was like, oh, these agents are going to take over the world. We'll make them autonomous and we'll go do these things. And it didn't, it didn't pan out, No, but it will, it, it'll eventually pan out. And I'm really interested to, it's kind of like the prediction question we had earlier is like, can humans be fully predicted? And how, what level of autonomy or what level of free will, you know, if we, if we are, if we do have free will can be replicated by machines. From my intuition of what's happening with the LMs, they're not, they don't seem autonomous whatsoever. Like you just talk with them and they, and they do the thing that you ask them to do. And then they stop doing it. I plugged it in so that they asked me follow-up questions, but that's just because I gave them the rote instructions. But then there's a jump that people are trying to make into autonomous agents and you being technical, I'd love to, and I'm sure you, you've, you've been tracking this. Are you guys building agents and like, how far away are we from agents? Yeah, I think um, autonomous agents are still a little bit far away. Uh, it feels like maybe the GPT-2 times um, compared yeah, to where GPT-4 is now. Um, like there's some glimpse of a way it work, but I think the difficulty with agent is um, like the way that I think about, I guess, like conversations is a one step process, right? Like you make a one prompt and then you answer something. Maybe it keeps conversations like context, but it's still a one step process where agents become interesting is is a multi-step process mostly, right? Like even while I'm scheduling meeting, what I have to do is like, I ask Stuart, why are you available? What time zone are you in? Let's schedule a meeting on the calendar. Let's send you, a, like there's already like six or seven steps, right? And every step or every task that you're compounding can make mistake. Uh, then it becomes very hard because if you, oh, okay, even yeah. if I'm like, I don't know, 90% accurate each step by like 0 0.9 to the sixth, um, it's already, I don't even know what that number is, but let's say uh, that's like 0.53. So suddenly you get an accuracy of only half the time you get it correct, right? So I think that's the difficulty of agents is because, you know, you have these like multi-step systems that requires you to be good at everything at the very high accuracy. Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes even more difficult if my system have to interact with your system, like my agent have to interact with your agent. Right. So if your agent is not good at interacting with my agent, that I'm also like, it's mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I think that's why agent stuff are right now still very supervised as in like you take one step ask the user, do you confirm this is right or wrong? Then I go to the next step and then I go to the next step. Right. But I think for a certain task is definitely impossible. Right. Like, <laughs> for example, if I do, I don't know, a calendar event, you always go to Google Calendar and do something, right? So those are highly like accurate or precise actions that you can take. 
Um, but even when we were where we were actually implementing this with Zapier developer ecosystem, uh, where you can put in like not you can't even try this today. I think if you try to tell Zapier connect this with this, and then have these kind of steps within it, um, is okay some of the time, but mostly is gonna get something wrong in yep. this step. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think it's still that like language ambiguity to the action data that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. But maybe Zapier at some point will collect enough data of like, hey, these people said these things, and then their end result is this type of workflow. Therefore, I can get better gradually at this very narrow scope of creating workflows between different apps. But that again comes back to like, what type of data do you have for what? Right. Um, and I actually think maybe open source data is mm. a really bomb to go to, which right now, like open source is a little bit poor on data because yes. like other, you know, big proprietary. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. All pro yeah. It's all proprietary. Interesting. <laughs> so I think like if there is truly like a marketplace of, you know, data vendors like however even data individuals right that if someone says hey i'm building this ai for medical purposes and it's for people who has this rare disease and if everyone who can feel safe who has this you know rare disease and contribute their data in mm -hmm. then suddenly we get a better model right so i think like um, I know Ooh. we're like very model obsessive, but there's only so much you can do on top of like the current open source data that's widely available or commercially available or under a Apache license, like however you want to talk about it. But the true essence of all this stuff is like, do you get the right data in the, at the right quality to make a better model, right? Um, so I think that would be an interesting um, place. And I, I'm yet to see any type of like, I seen, I guess, niche open source data type of um, things like common speech, uh, where people are getting data from like Swahili to be able to like yeah. build a better you know, yeah, model for Swahili, but not so much on the general level, right? Like but, not for everything. Yeah, it feels like, and well, that brings to mind conversations I've been having with other distributed computing people about how to incentivize open source development and open yeah. source uh, and data is a very, very interesting one. I, if we could build some sort of marketplace, I'm going to start keeping my ears open for crypto companies who are thinking about that, because uh, that feels like like if if we already have a monetary exchange on the internet that can be programmatically paid out to people that's probably a, a great way to incentivize but then you could game it though as well and then and then people could game it and then you have people creating fake data and stuff like that so there have to be but i'm sure there's solutions to those things as well yeah there i think that has to be verification like on both sides right but i do think that's something that would be beneficial because you know that like open table wants data from you or pharmaceutical companies mm. users right but um, users don't have a way to say, oh, you're offering me, I don't like $2 for my genetics profiling so you can help these people, right? And I do think people want to help. Like, honestly, if I do have um, some kind of rare disease, right. I want to help the next person, right? There's just no place for it. Um, and there's no like matchmaking for it in a way. Um, so then, you know, these companies go through, I don't know, like buying in from other vendors, which is not the individual who's benefiting. Right? Yeah, it's third party. Um, motivation. So, um, 
that would be interesting. I would, I would love to see a company or ecosystem doing that. Another business idea. Well, thank you so Another much for coming. Idea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, how can people find out? Like, what you guys released something today, right? What did you guys release? Yeah, yeah. So we're actually uh, today we launched a campaign on Republic, but we are launching our model too. Uh, next week on Tuesday, uh, which is January 9th at 9 a.m. PST. Um, so basically, model one is about like creating this kind of mind of you. And then model two is about giving it like other superpowers, like having your voice, like communicating outside, getting other type of memory into like external memory into your mind and, you know, all the connectors around it. Um, so we'll be launching kind of like seven to eight weeks of model two related product. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'll, I'll try to publish this before then. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Nice talking to you, Stuart. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I, I, I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.